to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. I remember in my interview telling them, hey, I'll be your first lead AP. I can help you change the way you build and design and operate your facilities. I can really make a difference in the sustainability stuff. And I remember him looking at me with this, just this look that said, oh, isn't that cute? (laughs) I just remember feeling that feeling, that, that look. And he said, we don't do that here. And I said, in my interview, I said, mark my words. Whoever says that in an interview, but I did. I said, mark my words in six months, you'll be doing this. And I want to be part of it. I am really excited as part of our Earth Day focus this year and part of our sustainability series to bring you today's guest, Christina Vernon Sanborn. I've known Christina for a long time since we worked together on projects, but she's a registered architect with more than 20 years experience focused on sustainability in a range of areas from healthcare to higher education to ESG reporting, facility management, and planning construction and operations. She's currently a senior decarbonization specialist at at Mazzetti, and she's helping clients define where they are and shape actionable plans to reach their goals, which, as you'll hear, is really her story. Every time she had a passion, she set goals and came up with action plans. When she encountered obstacles, she asked, how can I? She didn't get discouraged by the no's and kept working towards yes. So I think you are really going to be inspired by her story. Let's take a listen. Hi, Christina. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thanks for this opportunity to talk a little bit. I remember I first met you back when you were working at the Cleveland Clinic advocating for sustainability, and I was doing healthcare design, and we intersected because you had created an opportunity to have a little bit of oversight over projects. And I remember thinking at the time that it was really cool that you had kind of created this position. This was a while back, I want to say in the early to mid 2000s, when sustainability was really just taking off. Could you share with our audience a little bit more about how you knew what your thing really was and then how you built that into a career as a thought leader in this area? Well, my passion for sustainability goes way back. It goes way back to high school. I was the president of our earth club in my high school. It was something that I cared about all through college and grad school, but it took a while for me to kind of um, transform from caring about it to seeing it as my career path. 
And that happened when I started working in healthcare design specifically. I was a medical planner and I was seeing the connection between human health and the environment in a way that I felt my clients really ought to understand. They really ought to be passionate about this. They ought to be thinking about how the built environment that they're creating contributes to or detracts from the health of the communities that they serve. And I felt like this was so obvious, like, why wouldn't everybody care about this? So I tried, I tried sort of pushing as an architect um, with my clients as best I could, suggesting that we pursue lead on projects. I became a lead AP really early in the early 2000s. And I started to realize that the vast majority of the decisions that were made long before I was ever hired as an architect, where to build it, what to build, how to operate it, what services you were going to provide, orientation of the building because site was already chosen. There were a lot of those really important decisions had already been made that eventually became either detractors from or advocates for the sustainability of that particular project, right? So um, I decided I had to go inside. I had to find a way to work on the inside of healthcare so that I could be part of those first decisions that really determine the sustainability of those projects. And that quickly expanded to sustainability of projects and their operations, because I saw once I got inside the healthcare system, I saw how much of the operations themselves needed to be looked at and understood with a sustainability lens. There's a lot of waste that goes on and a lot of 24-7 operations and redundancy. Certainly, it's an industry where there is a lot of, of waste and a lot of consumption. But I'm intrigued about how you found your way in to working within healthcare. Well, I actually talked to the, my clients. I asked them how about their career paths. I had, I remember one very distinctive conversation that really led to me taking the position at Cleveland Clinic, where I contacted the healthcare planner there who I had worked very closely with as a client. And I said, how did you, how did you get to the inside of healthcare? Like, how did, how did you do that? And he's like, you could totally do this. And by the way, we just found out yesterday that one of our planners was retiring. So you should apply. And I did. And I remember in my interview, God bless him, he still hired me because he, (laughs) I remember in my interview telling them, hey, I'll be your first lead AP. I can help you change the way you build and design and operate your facilities. I can really make a difference in the sustainability stuff. And I remember him looking at me with this, just this look that said, oh, isn't that cute? (laughs) I just remember it feeling that feeling, that that look. And he said, we don't do that here. And I said, in my interview, I said, mark my words. Whoever says that in an interview, but I did. I said, mark my words in six months, you'll be doing this. And I want to be part of it. And he still hired me, thankfully. And he's still a friend to this day, my hiring manager at the clinic. So when I got inside, I was just a regular old healthcare facilities planner and I was working on all kinds of projects, but I just advocated and advocated and advocated. I just would not stop talking about how the decisions we were making were impacting the sustainability of our projects and the health of the communities we served. And um, almost six months to the day, literally, I, I mean, within a few days, our CEO, Toby Cosgrove, watched an inconvenient truth at the recommendation of one of our local leaders here in Cleveland. So I have him to thank for that. 
And um, when Dr. Cosgrove saw An Inconvenient Truth, he gathered everybody the next day working on a major project, a new heart center that was under construction at the time. And he said, why aren't you doing this? What, why is this not a top thing? Why haven't you brought this to my attention? And they left that meeting and said, there's some woman down in construction who will not shut up about this issue. Get her over here now. <laughs> and that's how it all started. Started with lurking on the, then I started working on our building standards and setting up a, a lead requirement for new construction, thinking about how we were going to do renovations, construction debris recycling, all the stuff that comes along with the operational side of lead. I started doing some oversight on projects, like you mentioned, um, to make sure that we were pursuing the most aggressive lead path we could have pursued. And then I came under the mentorship of our chief administrator, who was so instrumental in all of this. She really helped me be successful at Cleveland Clinic and navigate Cleveland Clinic. And I advocated with her for my own position. And I said, I got to do this full time. I can't be a medical planner and your sustainability person. And you do this full time because there's so much more to do than just the construction side of things. And that's where it all changed. And she helped me advocate for that position. And they said yes. And I became the director of the Office for a Healthy Environment. And we created the office and um, it really took off from there. It was it was so exciting. And at the time, there were only 10 me's that I knew of in North America, 10 full time sustainability professionals in 2005, six. And um, we all knew one another. Uh, it was such a small community and we were all learning together and we were learning from each other as each other, as each of us made progress. And man, we just made things happen and there was nothing stopping us. It was really exciting. It was, it was a really exciting time because it was so new and you were really on the leading edge of that. But what I really love about the story is how you led with your passion. You were so clear on what you wanted to do that you said, I need to work in a different way. You had no problem speaking up in the interview I think because it wasn't about you at that point. It was about what you cared about, what you felt needed to happen. And that was so important that it didn't matter if it seemed presumptuous. (laughs) And as you worked, you continued to advocate, even though they said, we don't do that here because you couldn't let it go. And I think it's just a great lesson in how when we do things because we're led to do them, because we know that they are going to be game changers and make a difference, the ego part of it goes away, the fear, the who am I to do this, and it really becomes about the issue and about making a difference. Absolutely. I always heard the, I always heard the word yet after those sentences. We don't do that here yet was sort of my, my mantra. We, well, we don't have a recycling program yet. (laughs) We don't, we don't have a construction debris recycling program yet. I love that. Like the fortune cookie, right? You just tack on. on, Just tack on yet. (laughs) And, and everything seems possible when you, when you have that in your mind that, well, maybe we should. And how do I do that? And who do I need to involve and engage and get excited to to help us make that happen? Because really, this role, sustainability role in any institution, 
has to be a catalyst because they're always small groups. If they're more than one person, they're tiny, you know, two, three, four people for a workforce of 40,000. We can't possibly do the, all, all that needs to be done. It takes inspiring others to take action. It takes the education that you have to put out into the workforce to change the way people do things so that they can carry the message forward. One of my favorite stories, when I was at Cleveland Clinic, I had a, I'd given this talk when we talked about the body burden of infants where infants were found to be born with over 200 chemicals in their bodies. Wow. And um, we know a little bit about each one of those chemicals, but we don't know very much about what it means to be born with little bits of all of those chemicals. And uh, I gave this, I gave this talk regularly and talked about this connection between environment and human health. And I gave it to pretty much anyone who would listen, any, any department that would listen, including our police force at the clinic. And I remember getting a call. My administrative assistant said, the chief of police wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh my gosh, where did I park today? Did I park all right? Did I do something wrong? And she said, he wants to come and see you today. Are you available? I'm like, well, yes, I'm available for him anytime that he wants to come and talk. So he came over and he was in full dress uniform, which I'd never seen before. And he had a young, uh, a young policeman with him who was also in full dress. And my first instinct was to stand up the minute they walked into the room. He was said, director, director Vernon, my, my name, director Vernon, I would like to introduce you to this young man. And he has a story to tell. And this young man told me about how he attended my, one of my learning opportunities, one of my sessions, and that he'd come away with a real passion about the chemical side of things. And so he decided to look at all the different chemicals he was interacting with every day as part of his job. And oddly enough, somehow his brain made the connection between the lead in the bullets they were using at their practice range and the lead contamination in soil which becomes lead contamination in water, which becomes lead contamination in us. And so he got, uh, the, he got the Cleveland Clinic police to switch to a synthetic bullet so that they wouldn't be using lead. And he got the entire practice range to change the way that they were doing things. And everybody stopped using lead at this. At wow, this what a great story. Right. I love that. I love that. It just becomes that chain reaction. Yeah. And it came back to me, right? That was when I really knew things were working where I never would have come up with that odd, you know, example, but he did. And we had bus drivers who thought about how they're warming up their buses every morning and how they're warming up all, turning on all of the buses and then doing all of the checks instead of turning on bus A, doing, then going, turning on bus B, then doing the checks on A, then turning on C and doing the checks on B, et cetera. And, and the, the emissions that they would save, it was, it was wonderful to see that kind of reflection back and internalization of what was going on and them carrying the message, because that's the only way it's really going to change is if others are, ta- are taking it and then making it important and real in their own work. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that always drew me to sustainability was the wellness aspect. And there's a lot of health equity and social justice issues that get wrapped up in that. And I know that some of the initiatives you started were a farmer's market because the local community was kind of in a food desert or a medical waste program where things that 
in the U.S. had to be thrown out, but were unused, perfectly good medical supplies could be sent to third world countries. Yes. Yeah, both of those initiatives were really successful and continue to this day long after my tenure at the institution. And the farmer's market was particularly, is a particularly beloved part of the program. We have a really amazing local food scene here in Cleveland. And so part of it was the local food aspect of it. How could we how could we make local food more accessible to more people in the neighborhoods we work and, and serve? We had to work with the local farmers market association who established the market on our campus. The support we got from doing so was immense. Um, we had community members coming onto campus in new ways, in ways where they felt welcome. We made sure that the farmers market accepted SNAP benefits so that people at all income levels, including some of our own staff who were working at the lower end of our spectrum, needed to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. We did our best to think about the social equity as well as the environmental piece of everything that we were doing. And of course, that intersection between wellness and environment is so present when you think about food. Absolutely. So you built this incredible world. And it was having this great ripple effect and so many things, even getting fast food out of the hospital as a all Toby. <laughs> you know, that was amazing because the McDonald's was an institution within an institution and to really change all that. So you're at the top of your game. What made you realize that you needed to move on rather than staying and just enjoying watching this continue to go on? Well, I think at heart, I like to innovate. I like to be working on newness as much as I possibly can. And I actually was doing a lot of informal consulting with healthcare systems across the U.S., supporting other people on their journey, talking to them in whatever forums I could, whether it was a speaking engagement or just phone calls. And I was supporting this health system in in North Carolina, based in Charlotte, North Carolina, with a series of calls for about a year and a half. They tried to recruit me. They kept trying to recruit me. Eventually, they wore me down to the point where I couldn't bear that they needed help and I wasn't there to provide it. And, you know, I had a really strong team at the Cleveland Clinic. I had really strong buy-in. I knew that they would replace me with somebody good, and they did. I knew that they would continue the work, and they have. The momentum was there. The buy-in was there. I'd done what I'm the best at, right, was to do the standing things up and getting things going. And now things were moving. In that maintenance mode, I can do it but it's not where my passion was. My passion was in making change. And so when Carolina's healthcare system now called Atrium worked so hard on recruiting me for so long, um, eventually I decided it was time to make the leap and that they really were at the very beginning of their journey. And being in the South, I felt like this was a really important thing to be able to go and take what I learned at Cleveland Clinic and apply it in the South, where there's just silence, a lot of of silence on this issue. So I did. I made the leap and went to Carolina's healthcare system. And that was its own journey. It takes a lot of courage, though, because especially you were such a pioneer that we tend to often feel a lot of ownership. And this is our baby, and we've incubated and watched it grow. 
and to say the best thing I can do is delegate and that other people won't do it the way I would do it. But that's okay because they're going to bring something to it that I wouldn't. And being able to walk away and be detached as opposed to clinging on for dear life. I was really going towards the opportunity rather than leaving the clinic. I felt, I still feel like I work at Cleveland Clinic. I mean, every time I go there, I'm saying we this, we that, like I still work there. Um, Cleveland Clinic has such a special place in my heart and always will. It was my client for years. And then I worked there for years, but the opportunity to go and take what I had learned there and amplify it by bringing that learning to a place where that was just getting started, that was really exciting for me. And it was, it was a real opportunity because Carolina's healthcare system now atrium, I got to get used to saying atrium, they've changed their name. Atrium health is, is an enormous health system and they hadn't really begun their journey at all. And they wanted me to come and help them start their journey. And I just, my heart went out to them. (laughs) I really, I really felt like I, I can do this. I'm the right person to do this. This is the right time for me to make a move. And um, this is the right place for me to go. That's just such a great story of saying, again, following the passion, being led by where can I have the greatest impact? Because this issue is too important not to be growing. You did good work there and then you kept going. So tell us about the rest of your journey. Well, you know, at Carolina's healthcare system, they weren't really ready for me. They weren't really ready to be pushed as hard as I wanted to be able to push the institution. And um, in fact, our, uh, the CEO at the time wasn't aware that I was coming and wasn't thrilled <laughs> that the institution was taking this on. I had to work from a grassroots level there in a way that I didn't have to do at the clinic because I had such great support right from the CEO, right straight all the way to the CEO and the chief administrator. That was a difficult journey. I went through a a period of of really not knowing had I done the right thing um, by going to Carolinas because they really weren't ready for me. And I'd up and moved and I'd left a great position and well, the weather was beautiful there. I mean, it was a, it was it was a nice place to go and and be as a person. But professionally, I was really concerned about that decision. And then I made a shift, and that shift was, okay, if they're not ready for me now, what do I need to do to make them ready? So I started to focus on what I saw as the barriers to readiness to really taking on this work. And what I saw was that there wasn't a really strong relationship across the facilities, construction and environmental services and supply chain, all those operational elements that have to come together in order to do this work effectively. There really wasn't a lot of tissue that was holding those groups together and they weren't really seeing each other as part of a singular sort of operational lifespan of things and services on on campus. And so I started doing a series of workshops there where we started just talking about where we are and how we work together. And so my focus really started to be on more on organizational behavior and building teamwork across the FMG was what it was called, the Facilities Management Group. And I remember one particular workshop that really changed the dynamic and it was getting Getting the energy story told in a a quantitative way was something they hadn't done yet. 
So we got our Energy Star scores put together for our major hospitals. And I held a workshop where I asked them, okay, so which of our hospitals, construction and facilities were in the room together operationally, and they didn't spend a lot of time together as a group. I said, what do you think is our highest performing hospital? On a scale of one to 100, where 100 is the best, one is the worst, where, where do you think our highest performing hospital is and which one do you think it is? And they were all, you know, guessing and they all said, well, definitely Pineville has to be our best performing hospital. That's, they all agreed on that. And I said, all right, what score do you think it is? It's like the SATs, right? So, you know, it's like one to a hundred and they're like, oh, it must be like a 90 or an 892 or 86. They were all guessing around there and I'm marking all the guesses on the board as we're doing this. I'm like, okay, what do you think our worst performing hospital is? And they're like, oh, it has to be the main campus. It just, it just has to be because it was, it was a conglomerate building and they just really felt like that had the biggest energy problems. And so we took guesses and they were guessing that must be more like a 60 something or something. Pineville, would you like to know what its score is? And they're like, yeah, they go, it's a one. Wow. It's a one. And they all said, wow. I said, all right. And what do you think main campus is? And they're like, I I guess I don't know. Like, it's a 33. It's our best performer. <laughs> Still not good, but yeah, but it's our best it. performer. And all of a sudden they realized that they had a misconception about how well they were doing in this arena. And they understood that this had a big financial impact on the in- in institution. And there was, there were light bulbs, pun intended, light bulbs going off in every one of the heads in that room. And things just changed in that moment, by just holding up the mirror and letting them see where they really were, they changed how they were working and they changed how they were talking about energy. So energy became a place where we had a lot of work we could do and we could make progress and we could get the institution behind making investments in energy efficiency um, because we were able to tell our story quantitatively. Things were going well, things were changing, work was coming along more smoothly, we were making progress. And then I got called by Northwestern University on the higher, on higher ed, who asked me to be part of a, what did they call it? A program review, a program review where they brought people in from other industries and they brought them in for a couple of days to evaluate their entire facilities operation and to write a report. At the time, a former colleague was the, was the VP of facilities there. And so that's how I got connected to the group. And I did this report and I saw that I was writing my own job description. As I was working on it, they needed to work across their their departments more effectively. They needed to get focused on things like energy. They needed to work on educating their workforce and, and developing people. So the things I'd been doing at Carolinas, which were less sustainability and more organizational health and organizational behavior, were where I sort of followed next. So I went into higher ed for a while and I worked at Northwestern and then I worked at Williams College and I missed healthcare desperately. I missed healthcare desperately because my passion was still in sustainability. I was, I was effective at the other work, cared very much about the social inequities around blue collar versus white collar workforce in facilities. I was really interested in breaking down that barrier between the blue and the white collar sort of ideas that were out there um, and helping lift people no matter what their role was, helping lift them was very important to me. So the social sustainability stuff was still there, but I was missing that environmental sustainability. I was really missing that connection between health and the environment. So 
I moved back to Cleveland, which is where my heart is. It's where I always call home. <laughs> and I took a job with Mazzetti, which is where I am now, where I'm helping healthcare systems across the U.S. work on their sustainability journeys and specifically now working on their carbon journeys. Like we're beyond just worrying about waste and local food and thinking about how do waste and local food and all of the other elements of sustainability impact our carbon footprint. I'm, I'm back to doing what I love doing. I absolutely am thrilled that I made this change to come out of higher ed and go back to healthcare because that's, that's where my passion is. This is where, this is who I am. It's what I do. I love the story and I love how you keep evolving with every change you make and the connection. We talk a lot about it on those podcasts between how you work with people, how you find their pain points, how you communicate, how you co-create. A lot of times as architects, we don't think that's our job, but it's the conduit. Otherwise, we don't connect. And even if the client accepts and builds or goes forward with our proposals, they haven't really bought in. Right. And I love that you also discovered along the way that that process and that organizational behavior part is just as critical as the actual sustainability and resilience work because they really do go together. And I think that's true no matter what your passion is. You can't yell into the wind. You have to find a way to connect with the people you want to help or you never really have the impact. Thank you so much for taking the time today to share your story. I know I'm really inspired. Just wow, what what a journey. And you're so intrepid about just saying this has to be done and I will not be silent and I will find a way if there is a crack, I will go into that crack and make it bigger. I will definitely amplify because it's so important. So if people would like to connect to you, where can we find you? I think the best place to find me, um, I'm at Mazzetti now, so you can find me um, via Mazzetti.com, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with anybody that wants to talk more about the topics we've talked about today, or maybe I can help somebody on their journey. Absolutely. And definitely everyone, show Christina what you learned. Make a post, share your inspirations, tag her. I know it always makes people feel appreciated when they know that something they said really landed. So please take the time to do that. I know she will appreciate it. And thank you again (laughs) so much for sharing your story and for continuing to blaze a trail. Thank you. you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. 
Take care, everyone, and stay inspired. <laughs>